Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Yes, a very good evening to you all. This is Extra Time on SENZ. Ben Francis filling in tonight. We are going all the way to 11pm, but between 9 and 10 we'll be at the Oki with myself and Ben Robb. Thank you all for listening in on this beautiful, beautiful Monday evening. Coming up on the show, we will be touching on the Black Ferns winning the World Cup. Of course, the All Blacks this morning as well, getting up over Scotland. We're also going to cross the ditch. We're going to have a talk to Peter Fairburn. It's been a bit going on over there, of course, with so much sport going on over the weekend. It's very hard to keep track of everything. And unfortunately, the Kiwis got knocked out in the semi finals of the Rugby League World Cup. That was a cracking game. So we'll talk to Peter a bit about that. And the Wallabies. I think this is a result that people might have missed with so much rugby going on. They lost to Italy. They lost to Italy for the first ever time. They, I think they made 12 changes to their starting side and that kind of came back to bite them. So where, where does that leave them less than a year out from the World Cup? Uh, also, we're going to be touching on uh, a bit of talking a bit of football as well with the Football World Cup not too far away. But this afternoon, New Zealand time, one of the most bizarre clips was released. Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo talking with Piers Morgan and saying some absolutely outlandish things. That's probably the best way to put it. So hopefully we'll be able to head over to the UK and touch on a bit about that and see, talk a bit of Premier League as well because, of course, who would have picked Arsenal to be leading the table after 14, 15 games? All that and plenty more to come here on Extra Time with Ben Francis between 8 and 11 o'clock but what an occasion this weekend in Auckland it was as the Black Ferns defended the Rugby World Cup by beating England in the final this may be the most extraordinary of the lot
Yes, the score was 34-31 with England having a late line-out and a chance of victory. If they took it, they probably would have won it, but no, it was stolen and New Zealand went on to win the match. It was a fitting end to the to the decider, which saw a record crowd figures and viewing numbers on TV. Over 40,000 people packed in at Eden Park and something over like a million people watching on TV. Just absolutely insane seeing the reaction to that final and the tournament in general, to be fair. Going from some of the darkest days in Black Fern's history just 12 months ago to world champion sounds like a better movie script than going from white beta to kicking the winning goal in a World Cup final. I apologise, Beef. I was absolutely blown away by the public interest in the event and reading so comments on social media like the best game of rugby I've watched, I'm in tears. These are things I admittedly never thought I would be reading at the conclusion of the tournament. Just the way... As the tournament progressed, seeing the interest, and I think part of it as well probably has to do with some of the ticket prices and the games being on free-to-air TV as well, just giving people the opportunity to tune in and and support the Black Ferns, which was fantastic to see. Uh, one highlight for me, of course, throughout the tournament was the breath, the breath of fresh air of quality interviews players gave. It wasn't like their male counterparts who said the same old boring cliche things every day we all know that's true. We all know that the All Blacks are going to be expecting a tough game or any rugby side they're going to be expecting a tough game. So it was really refreshing just having a different voices and they were just great to listen to. Uh, and also producing the Black Fern show here on SENZ, I have learned lots about the women's game and heard some remarkable stories from people behind the scenes as well. My personal highlight was getting to meet Sine Naupu. Her story is incredible, and you could sp- uh, spend literally all day chatting to her about what she's done on and off the field. Uh, she, of course, used to play, born here, represented Ireland and part of the Spark Sport commentary team throughout the tournament. But while we have to celebrate what the Black Ferns have achieved, it is important not to let this momentum stop. The ball is firmly in the court of the fans and New Zealand rugby, and they can't afford to slip up. As you may have just heard on the Black Ferns show last hour, it sounds like the Black Ferns will have a decent schedule planned with games both here and abroad. And don't forget, there's also those discussions underway about a possible British and Irish Lions tour in the future as well. But what about Super Rugby Alpuki and the Farrah Palmer Cup? Well, also Mark Robinson last hour, he touched on that they're looking at a potential crossover tournament with Super Rugby Australia and then potentially expanding to other regions as well with other club teams. So that's something really excited to see. But where I wanted to go with that is people might remember that earlier this year when these tournaments were on, there, there weren't big crowd numbers. So when they're back next year, how is New Zealand rugby going to get fans back in the seats to continue this momentum? Because we want... We want the fans back at these stadiums, wherever our Aupuki teams are playing, wherever our Farah Palmer Cup teams are playing, to support these girls and the next generation of Black Ferns coming through. The standard has been set by the public, so New Zealand rugby need to act. Scheduling tests here could be a bit tricky, though. Of course, we've got the other Women's Football World Cup and concerts galore, among other things, after the big COVID delay. Uh, And... Let's be honest, there are only a handful of other real competitive nations in the world of rugby, but that doesn't mean, that can't stop us from taking advantage of what the Black Ferns have done. As I just said, hearing some of those comments, 
seeing the videos, seeing people crying about the black ferns, I have, I on, I hand on heart admit, I never thought this would happen. I never thought it, it would, and and it's absolutely fantastic to see the the reaction to all this. And if we do get these crowds turning up, it's important for the men who supported this tournament to show up, and for the men as well, and even the, the, the men's wives or and the kids, the kids, lots of kids at these tournaments, and the kids they need to start begging their parents, say, "Can you take me to the the Black Ferns game? Can you take me to Super Rugby Aupuki?" And the parents need to say, "Yeah, let's go. Let's continue supporting the women's game. Let's continue supporting the growth of it all." I really hope the momentum built at this successful World Cup doesn't go to waste. It would be such a shame, considering the Black Ferns have won the heart of a nation and the overall feeling with the win. It feels like people care about this more than when the All Blacks broke that long win streak when they won the World Cup in 2011 at Eden Park. It really does feel like that. It feels like there is more interest and more engagement in this. The next Rugby World Cup is three years away. Of course, this was delayed from last year due to COVID. To for how, I, how I see it, New Zealand rugby, the clock is ticking. For the future of rugby, and particularly women's rugby, you must act now Please, please don't stuff this up. Let's continue this momentum. If you want to discuss the Black Ferns or anything else here on Extra Time, if you've been busy all day and you haven't had the chance to share your thoughts on how things are going, text us through here on double eight double three or call us 0800 150 811. That is 0800 150 811. And we are approaching 10 minutes past eight here on Extra Time. Coming up after the break, we will cross... The Ditch, and catch up with Peter Fairburn. 14 minutes past eight here on SCNZ Extra Time, and uh, Mark from Sydney has called through. Mark, how are you? It's been a while. Hey, Ben, how are you? Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yourself? Well, a lot better considering the fact that the Blackburns won over the weekend. I mean, as you know, I'm half Aussie, half Kiwi, and the Aussies haven't done too well, especially in the cricket T20 World Cup. The less said about that, the better, because I noticed that... (laughs) Not one Australian player got featured in their team of the tournament. Even Marcus Stoinis, who saved our bacon when it came to playing against Sri Lanka in one of our early matches by scoring the fastest 50, I believe it was, that any T20 player playing for Australia had ever done up to that time. So it's like, the less said about that, the better. So it's good to see the Kiwis got as far as they did, although I did expect them to win against Pakistan. They did a whole lot better than the Australian team, and it's great to see the Black Ferns win over the weekend. About the only saving grace for Australian teams over the weekend was that we're through to the Rugby League World Cup final in England. Yeah, and for us, uh, less we talk about that, the better. But Mark, how how was the uh, Women's World Cup final? Uh, how what what was the kind of talk about it in the in the lead up to the match? Well, over here, it's been nothing but uh, praise for the Black Ferns That's because. Great. Everything about tactics, everything about skill on the field, everything about how they conducted themselves off the field is 110% positive. And very few, if any, Australian teams can hold a torch to them at the moment. They just were totally 110% class on and off the field, in my opinion. And a lot of people over here share that opinion too, especially expat Kiwis. Oh, that's good. And do you think that was kind of the highlight of your sporting weekend? It was the highlight of my sporting weekend, yes, because at least my New Zealand half could take refuge in the fact that Kiwi teams didn't let us down. Well, what, what, actually, Mark, while I've got you, what, what did you what did you think about the league uh, with with Aussie getting up over over the the Kiwis? 
Well, to be honest, I thought that was great. I mean, I'm Australian by birth, so I'll support Australia first and foremost, but if, if New Zealand's not playing Australia, I'll support them. But I just thought, think the way that the Australian league team have conducted themselves right throughout the tournament has been absolutely great. I mean, they've um, had large margins they've won by. I believe one was against Scotland, for example. I think it was something like 82-0. But um, there's been some narrow matches, and where they've been narrow matches, Australia's played really well to uh, get out of jail, as it were. And, um, yes, unfortunately, our rugby union team lost to Italy for the first time. So, yes, that was a bit of a downer on the weekend. But at least the All Blacks managed to beat Scotland. They did come back. I mean, I believe Scotland was ahead at one point in the match and the All Blacks came back and won the game. So they played really well too. So that's something to be proud of as well. I'll keep listening, Mark. I'm going to give my thoughts on that All Black scotland match uh, very soon. But thank you so much for your call tonight here on Extra Time. Thanks, That's Mark there calling through from Sydney and it is 17 minutes past 8 here on Extra Time. We're sticking over in Australia here on SCNZ Extra Time, but we're going upstate, or we're going down. I actually don't know my Australian geography that well, so I apologise for the appalling intro. But uh, Pete Fairburn, we're crossing into West Island anyway. Pete, how are you? Hey, how are you, Benny? How are you going, mate? Oh, it's pretty good, eh? I'm pretty good. We've had a very, very hectic sporting weekend over here, of course, uh, with the World Cup final, uh, the Women's World Cup, and, of course, the Kiwis, uh, they played uh, the Kangaroos on Saturday morning. Uh, I think that one almost slipped under the radar because of how much hype uh, there was around uh, the Women's World Cup. Uh, So I just wanted to start off, Pete, by asking, you know, for you and the people you associate with, you know, what was the, the talk of the Women's World Cup before the final? Yeah, look, there's been a lot of chat about it. I mean, I do I do work in, in rugby and I've got a lot of Kiwi mates who, who live over here as well. And, um, you know, so clearly, um, you know, I'm even more likely to hear about it. But certainly this tournament's been on everyone's radar. Um, I think people have been pretty captivated by the cultural impact it seems to have had across the ditch um, initially. But then when people have actually watched the footy, they've gone, wow, these guys are really, really good. I mean... The story of, of New Zealand being, the, you know, the plucky underdog of sorts, um, you know, with the revamped coaching panel and really coming home with their tail uh, between their legs after last year's tour um, to the Northern Hemisphere and, 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 you know, how quickly they've been able to turn it around to, to beat an England team that, that had the world record for the most consecutive wins. It, it's captivating. It's really interesting stuff. And I've even heard it used as, um, you know, justification for why uh, the Wallabies should look at, at making a move on a new head coach ahead of next year's Men's Rugby World Cup. Um, and, and I've seen Wayne Smith used as the example of it can work in this short space of time. So, um, look, it, it, it's been been awesome to watch. We're really, really excited to have that tournament here in, in 2029. And I know um, a few of our Wallaroos girls have signed over in the UK and are going to head, I think, three or four of the girls are going to go and play for Harlequins. We've got our own Super W competition, which is, is going great guns over here. And I know there's a lot of excitement about potentially uh, New Zealand and Australia uh, coming together and, and Fiji as well um, in, a, in a women's uh, rugby competition, um, you know, a super rugby format. So there's a lot of excitement about, um, you know, the, the, the evolution, I guess, of women's rugby. But, you know, for, for the circles I roll in, people have just been blown away by the talent um, and, and also the game style and, and the bravery and, and courage and, and physicality of the contest. So it's been great to see and, and we're really excited to see. Obviously, we've got our world champion Australian women's rugby sevens team, um, our 
Wallaroos haven't quite reached those same heights, but but hopefully we see that change in the years to come. Yeah, hopefully, because it'll be great to get that, that competition, especially that rivalry really out between Australia and New Zealand. And we had Mark Robinson on, the New Zealand Rugby CEO, last hour on our Blackfern show, and he, he pretty much... I would say he pretty much did confirm that uh, the, there would be a crossover at some point between our Super Rugby uh, Aupuki and your Super Rugby Women's competition. So it's really great to see that there are these uh, plans in place to try and grow the game a bit more and trying to keep that momentum going. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. Um, and, you know, we've obviously uh, you know, seen the benefits of the investment New Zealand rugby's made in female players as well. And, and I think there's certainly a lot of plans here in Australia to move towards um, you know, professionalism or semi-professionalism for women's 15s players as well. You've got to uh, walk before you run sometimes, and it's been a case of um, having that, that Super W competition evolve over you know, the last five or six years. I think we, we've got a head start on you guys by a couple of years there. Um, and, and hopefully, I think 2025, 2026, around that mark, they're hoping to have you know a degree of professionalism in there, which would be fantastic. So it's an exciting time for, for women's sport. I mean, we, we know that you know, Australia really get behind, um, you know, our, our Matildas, our, our football team, the Australian women's cricket team are one of the most popular teams in the country. Um, we've all been enjoying watching the Gillaroos over at the, the Rugby League World Cup in, in England, and they had a nail-biting win against New Zealand in the group stages over there, and that'll heat up. But there's plenty of uh, household names in that, that Gillaroos team as well. So it, it really is an exciting time for women's sport, you know, in this part of the world. How many household names were in that Wallabies team on, on Sunday morning? Well, there are 11 changes, Benny, from uh, from the team that were pipped by one point um, against France the week before and had made some really positive um, you know, growth. And a lot of people were pretty worried about that heading into the fixture. I mean, Italy were really impressive when they dismantled Samoa the, you know, the week before. They had their first win in the Six Nations for a while against Wales this year. They are um, an Italian team who are stronger than what we've faced in years gone by. And a lot of people saw that 11 changes by Dave Rennie as a bit of a sign of disrespect. Um, you know, the counterclaim being that it's a five-game tour for the Wallabies this year. Final year before a Rugby World Cup, we've got to try uh, not only to make sure we don't burn players out by playing five test matches in five weeks in in the Northern Hemisphere, but also um, that, that we're, you know, testing different combinations and giving different people an opportunity to play themselves in or out of contention for that squad. But there was definitely a lot of concern when the team was named, and, and those concerns proved fruitful in the end. I, I think a really disappointing result for the Wallabies, look, we should have won it. Um, you know, a misconversion attempt that, that Ben Donaldson would, would like to have again, um, you know, at, at full time there, which would have got us the win. But in saying that, the Italians left a lot of points on the field as well. And um, again, we're talking about discipline with the Australians. We're talking about a 16 penalties against. We're talking about a, a yellow card, which I think takes us to 24 yellow and red cards in our last 23 matches, which... If you're giving the opposition sustained periods of time with a you know a, a, a numerical advantage on the field, you're not giving yourself the greatest opportunity to um, you know to collect the chockies. So I, I think it's yes, pressure you know should be on and and is on it, very much real pressure on Dave Rennie and, and his coaching staff now. But the players have also got to take a degree of responsibility around the discipline side of the game. There's only so much that. Um, you know, that the coaching staff can do to prepare them. Uh, at the end of the day, they've got to make the right decisions on the field as well. Uh, quite a lot of, uh, well, actually all one-point results so far on that tour. Of course, 16-15 over Scotland. Blair Kinghorn missing that late uh, kick, which could have won that game. And then last week, 30, uh, losing 30-29 to France, and then that one-point loss to Italy. And 
what is that is that whole consensus now? Do we do they do the Wallabies make that change before the World Cup and hope for a a, a similar like a Black Ferns esque effect, or is everyone prepared to ride it out with Rennie? Well, I think we need to know who that man would be, right? Yeah. I, I think that's the the critical component, you know. And and I've been an unabashed Slave Rennie fan, you know, before we hired him. I loved what he did at the Chiefs, and I was delighted when we hired him. And I think culturally that Wallabies squad's in a pretty good place, but the the win ratio of 37% is is clearly not good enough. He'd be the first to admit that as well. Yes, there's been some some pretty damaging injuries at key points and some mitigating factors, but um, Sterling Mortlock, you know, Wallaby captain, great of the game, came out today and said, we're kidding if we think we're going to, uh, you know, we have any chance of winning the Rugby World Cup next year. And while we've had some peaks and troughs, um, you know, and certainly the Bledisloe Cup's been, um, you know, not hasn't been in our possession for a very, very long time. But what we've always had is we've always had, um, you know, a, a chance going into a Rugby World Cup at the moment. You're looking at it and, um, you know, you, you're really worried about the Wallabies' ability to get out of the pool, um, which is one of the, you know, theoretically based on rankings, one of the weaker pools. But all of a sudden, winning against Wales and Fiji um, to get out of the pool doesn't look, you know, certainly by any stretch of the imagination. If Scott Robertson was available, you have to have that conversation. Um, I've heard people say, you know, um, trying to, to shake free an Eddie Jones for a 12-month reconnaissance mission could be, um, you know, could be in the best interest of both English and Australian rugby. I don't know if that's the answer, but um, certainly if, if the Wallabies lose to Ireland this weekend, and, and you know, Ireland will be the, the heavy favourites for that, and then finish off with a loss against Wales, to come away from the tour with one win through five would be, um, you know, be pretty hard for Dave Rennie to, to convince Rugby Australia that he's the man moving forward, you'd think. Yeah, I was, just, I was actually just going to touch on that Ireland game up this weekend. Uh, do you give the Wallabies any hope? Well, look, what I take um, as comfort is the way we performed against the French, and we're likely to see a similar lineup. Um, clearly, when the backs are against the wall, um, you know, the Wallabies have pulled off some massive wins when people have written us off over the years. So you go into every match um, you know, with with hope that, that you can turn things around from that point of view. We've got some very, very talented rugby players. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you look at a Taniela Tupo, you'd say you know, he's a game changer. You look at Lenny Ikatao in the midfield, he's had a phenomenal impact and clearly one of the form centres in the world. You know, Nick White, Bernard Foley, very experienced halves combo, have been playing pretty well together. Um, so there is talent there. Robbie Valentini, the eight, Michael Hooper in the back row there. Um, you, you know, Robbie Valentini's been, been superb this year and if it wasn't for a bloke named Savia we'd be hearing a lot more about his his um, quality in the back row. So I think that you go into the game with a chance, but you've got to execute your game plan to perfection and you've got to maintain your discipline. You can't go into a match against a team as clinical as Ireland and Ireland will take any points that, yeah, as we know, they, they won't hesitate to point to the sticks and, and take three any time they get the chance. So if, all of a sudden, if you know, if, if they have three, four or five shots at goal that come from, from Wallaby indiscretions, we're not going to be able to score enough points against them to get the win. It's as simple as that. So I'm not writing the Wallabies off by any stretch. I, I think we are capable, but I think that you know time has really come uh, you know to to really focus on that discipline and 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 really front up in that sense. Another Australian team not doing so good at the moment was the Aussie T20 team missing out on the semi-finals of the World Cup over there. So how painful was it to see England lifting that trophy? Well, look, I think it was it was expected. England have been, uh, with the exception of that defeat against Ireland, they've been the best team in the competition. But 
at the same time, I think, uh, yeah, everyone decided pretty early doors over here. If it wasn't going to be Australia, Pakistan was a great story. You had Matthew Hayden and Sean Tate, the wild thing, as part of the Pakistan coaching staff. Um, and, and I guess Pakistan getting that late reprieve when the Netherlands upset South Africa and sent Pakistan through. Um, and, and I think that the Aussie, the Aussie public in general, we've got a big, um, you know, Pakistani uh, expat supporter base over here. People have travelled, um, you know, a long way to, to come and watch their, their team play as well. So there was disappointment that we didn't get um, a closer final, I think, and, and that Pakistan probably um, got a little bit overawed on the big stage. In terms of our own performance, there's a real lack of connection at the moment between the Australian public and the Australian cricket team. And, um, you know, clearly... Uh, with the, the removal of Justin Langer as head coach last year. You know, there's a lot of people who um, would be of the argument that, that that demonstrated that player power had gotten out of control and that this Australian cricket team, you know, it, it, this current generation of Australian cricketers were a bit mollycoddled and, um, and JL was the man to actually give them some honest home truths. I personally don't subscribe to that theory. I, I think that, that Justin Langer's intensity had, had actually... Um, you know, gone too far for that team and, and that he'd, he'd lost the room. And once you lose the room, you can't get them back. And I would actually rather you have a playing group speaking up about that. But the reality is, um, in Andrew McDonald, we do have an unproven coach in, in the role now um, and, and really disappointing white ball form now. Um, a, home, a home semi-final uh, you know, w- would have been the minimum expectation, I would have thought, going into this World Cup. And, um, you know, Glenn Maxwell's now broken his leg over the weekend at a, a 50th birthday party, and he'll be out for three months. We've got what seems to be a pretty um, pointless uh, one-day international series against the English kicking off, I think, on Thursday. So it's just so much cricket being played before um, you know the, the, the summer against the West Indies and South Africa. So, um, yeah, look, we were flat. We were disappointed. Um, we wanted to have an impact in that tournament playing at home. Um, but in saying that, I think that the general apathy towards that team and, and towards perhaps that format is shown by the fact that, you know, India and Pakistan were getting huge crowds for their matches, but, you know, Australia were, were playing games, you know, in our home country with, with half-empty stadiums. I think that kind of tells you plenty about the team at the moment. I was actually going to touch on uh, the Glenn Maxwell injury. What's kind of the reaction been to that, to that injury, which has been described as a freak accident? Well, it's interesting because Maxie's been kind of in the gun a little bit over the last few days. He made some comments um, you know, after we were knocked out of that T20 World Cup, which essentially said, oh, you know, we'll pick ourselves up and go again. It's not the end of the world. And some people really jumped on those comments and said, it's the World Cup, mate. What do you mean it's not the end of the world to be eliminated? You know, you've got to, you, you've got to demonstrate um, you know, it, it, more of a way that, you know, how much this actually really hurts and, and how much, um, you know, you're going to stew on this. And then, the counter-argument to that was he was just demonstrating that you know, T20 cricket, we play too much of it and, and that the players are a bit burnt out. So this was kind of all bubbling around in the background. Now, it won't uh, surprise you to know, Benny, that a lot of the people who thought what he said was really out of line are the same types of people lining up now to say, well, clearly he, he's gotten himself, you know, he's had too much to drink and he's he's mucking around and he's, he's injured himself and now we all suffer off the back of it. So there are plenty of people lining up to take pot shots. I think for me personally, it's disappointment. We're really hoping to see um, Maxie play some red ball cricket over the next six or eight weeks and put himself in the frame to tour India for that test series in March. And um, a lot of people here, myself included, who feel that... that Matt, uh, let's not forget, Glenn Maxwell's got a test century in India, um, one of the toughest places to play anywhere in the world. And a lot of people here thinking that 
he's never been given enough of an opportunity, um, you know, to be a real game changer at test level. Uh, you know, our version of Ben Stokes, if you will, um, you know, an underrated bowler and a game-changing batsman on his day. So real disappointment that, you know, he's going to be fighting to, to get back and, and really put himself in contention for that tour, I would have thought. I've been trying to put this off, but I can't anymore. What about that? Uh, rug- what about those Rugby League World Cup semi-finals? Of course, Australia pipping uh, New Zealand in an absolute thriller, but then Samoa somehow <laughs> beating England. And I say that because we go back to the opening game of the tournament when England put 60 on them, and then there was all the talk about Matt Parrish and some of the stuff that he's done, and that's why the playing group isn't going so well. But now they're in a World Cup final and be playing Australia. Yeah, look, it's unbelievable. Um, Firstly, I'll touch on the the Kangaroos and the Kiwis game. and um, Real credit where it's due, because I don't think anybody, uh, including the Rugby League World Cup tournament organisers, had already nominated that that the Kiwis were going to be on the flight home, which was uh, about as bad a read of a situation as I've ever come across. But I don't think anyone really thought the Kiwis were going to put up that much of a fight. And what what actually eventuated was one of the greatest games of rugby league I think we've ever seen. Um, And I don't say that lightly, but I think if that game had been played in in prime time in Australia, we would have all been talking about it for three or four days, you know, weeks. Um, I I think the fact that the tournament's being played on the other side of the world and and in the middle of the night for us has led to less um, conversation about it. And the other thing is that there has been so much positivity around you know the island nations and even you know teams like Lebanon who, who caught um, you know caught the eye of people um, during this tournament nobody predicted Samoa would be able to um, I, I guess become a, a 60 70 point better team in the space of, of three weeks it's just remarkable and I think it just goes to show you um, you know how quickly the you know the wheel can turn and, and if you have quality players and quality individuals involved, um, you know the, the ability they have to, to learn quickly and adapt, and it, it goes back to why I still think you know the Wallabies have to be given a chance against the Irish. If you've got quality players there, um, you know you, you take your medicine and, and you get back on the training paddock and, and try and work things out. I, I think having five Penrith Panthers players in that Samoan squad, clearly players who who know and have learned how to win, they know each other's game. There's genuine cohesion. And, um, you know, in, in Crichton, Luai and, and, and Toto, three absolutely unbelievable footballers there. Um, and, and while no one's giving Samoa a chance this weekend, um, a, a, again, I think, um, you know, you, you, you've just got to give real credit to them that they've been able to um, to do something that, that no Pacific nation's ever done before or no Tier 2 nation's ever done before. And um, they beat a really good England team, an England team that was certainly worrying fans of the kangaroos um and and i I think it's just great to see for the game of rugby league the the big question now for me um is you know you look at at someone like a junior paolo who who plays state of origin and and plays for samoa as well and uh, i I think that's fantastic i think in the multicultural world we live in to give somebody like junior paolo or or brian toto or jerome luai the opportunity to represent um both their their heritage but also you know where they've grown up in, in the case of new south wales is really important, and international rugby league continues to grow and develop and have a wider footprint. Um, you know, through through strength being um, you know fairly kind of um, you know distributed across these different nations. So, I'd love to see you know Kiwis, English um, players from other so-called Tier One nations being eligible for state of origin as well. And I think um, you know we, we need to move away from someone like a Victor Radley having to decide if he's going to play for England or New South Wales. Because I think it's, it's pretty unfair that Jerome Luai, for example, can play for Samara in the Blues, but 
Victor Radley can't or, you know, some of these guys playing for the Kiwis who have also got really strong ties to New South Wales or Queensland. I think that's the next obvious thing that has to be addressed. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, Pete, in terms of a bit similar, I guess, to the, the Women's Rugby World Cup in terms of how, what is the plan going forward now to try build on the success of what Samoa have done and, and some of these other smaller nations as well in uh, making their work, playing at the World Cup too. Yeah, absolutely. What's the legacy going to be, right? I think that's really, really important. I think, um, you know, we've been been very lucky to have, you know, all these different World Cups on at the same time. And I think they've all shown some really interesting, um, you know, changes of direction or strategy need to take place across all these different sports. You look at cricket, you know, there's a lot of calls to reduce the amount of international T20 cricket and maybe leave it as franchise-based, you know, most of the time and just play a World Cup every four years. You look at, at the Women's Rugby World Cup, what's the... Um, what's the legacy of that tournament going to be, not only in New Zealand, but um, you know, around the world in terms of investment in the high-performance programs. Rugby league as well. Um, you know, really, um, you know, what are we going to do to make sure that, that Fiji, that Papua New Guinea, that, that Ireland, that Scotland, all these other teams that have the potential to get better, get that opportunity? So unfortunately for the administrators of these tournaments who are probably looking forward to a week's holiday and turning the, the phone off, I think the hard work really begins now. And, you know, across all of those codes, really, they need to, to act, you know, swiftly and decisively to, um, you know, to gather all the learnings and, and, and look at what's worked and what hasn't and, and look at, you know, what their strategic direction is over the next decade and, and start making moves immediately to, um, you know, to show that they can be pretty agile and take learnings out of, you know, what have been three pretty fantastic tournaments, um, all in different ways, though. Peter Fairburn, I could not agree more, and thank you so much for your time tonight and joining us here on SCNZ's Extra Time. Always a pleasure, Benny. Take care, mate. That's Peter Fairburn there. We talk to him most most weeks when we can over in West Island. I still haven't, don't know off the top of my head if Queensland's above or below New South Wales. I'll figure that one out very shortly. But we are 22 minutes away from nine here on SCNZ. Coming up after the break, we will touch on the All Blacks win over Scotland. 18 minutes away from nine here on SENZ's Extra Time with Ben Francis. Of course, in the early hours of this morning, the All Blacks played Scotland at Murrayfield. Just seen uh, some some nice vision there on on the TV with the lone piper standing on top of the wonderful Murrayfield. And, wow, the All Blacks did get the job done against Scotland, having to battle back to win 31 23. The All Blacks looked like they were going to run away up 14-0 after just eight minutes, but they don't call them Scotland the Brave for nothing as they fought back to lead at the break and even with 20 minutes remaining. The Scots did everything but take their chances with multiple attacking opportunities blown, especially in that second half, the amount of times they had the ball inside the 22 and just could not take the opportunity. Uh, they did everything to hold their nerve when the match was tight, but when the thought of that elusive win against the All Blacks came to their mind, the errors just crept in. As history was showing, that's when the mistakes started coming. Anyways, what I'm just trying to say is Scotland pretty much just showed the world not how to beat the All Blacks. I think that's probably a fair way of summing it up. I will admit, as I sit here saying this to you right now, I do have my Scotland hoodie on. I'm still proud of the way the Scots played against the All Blacks. They gave them a very, very good push. 
and I was very confident that they would win, especially uh, when I saw Ian Foster make a lot of changes to the team. When I saw that team named, I was, I felt, hey, this is going to be their chance. This is going to be the chance, Scotland. They're going to break that duck. They're going to get that win. Uh, and ultimately, I was proven wrong, and I'll take it on the chin. While I'm happy to admit I was wrong about the result, though, the fact the All Blacks have once again failed to put us, I have failed to put together back-to-back decent performances, for me, is a bit of a concern still. Last week, the rugby world was in awe over the All Blacks, saying that they cannot be written off for next year's World Cup. Of course, there's been a lot of doubt, considering they've suffered a couple of historic losses. Uh, they've been a bit hit and miss. But they beat Wales last week pretty convincingly, and many more people were saying the All Blacks are back. There's what, how many? Seven tests to go. They're back. Don't write them off. But after a bit of a, let's say, below par performance, I think those can, some of those concerns again have been raised. The late turning point in the game seemed to be the yellow card to Jack Dempsey, where the All Blacks pulled away, and sometimes those little moments can be the difference between winning and losing. Overall, the All Blacks were below their best and they will need to improve massively if they are to beat England this weekend. But the question I'd like to ask you on 0800 you can text me on double eight double three. what changes would you like to see the All Blacks coaching staff make? They can make it, there's, I think Graham, I know Graham's probably listening. Graham, if you are listening, you can call me up. I've got a bit of time now or you can call me after 10 o'clock and tell me why Richie Mwanga should be the first five. If you like, TJ Perinara was pretty good off the bench. Dalton Papali'i was very good. Again, Adi Savia was Adi Savia. Mark Talia looked pretty good in his debut as well. But we expect the All Blacks going to name their strongest 23 to face England. And I would say the overall tour will probably be judged on how that goes. It's 14 minutes away from nine here on SCNZ. Proud of us and the way we performed. It's just unfortunately we were on the wrong side of the result. I think we were the better team uh, for the majority of that game. It's just uh, our next step now is got to win those matches. How tough was it to take those chances you left behind? Did you create a plenty of them? Uh, yeah, it's pretty tough. Um, we've been penalised within a metre of the line three times. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's tough to take, I think. You look at the game and we certainly had more chances. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Disappointment that we don't get to play New Zealand every couple of years like we used to. It's been five years. That'll be the biggest lead we've ever had against New Zealand in our history, and we didn't get the win. The calmness the players showed, and also sticking to to what they'd worked during the week and um, playing with energy, showing their skill individually. Um, although set piece wise, lineup was outstanding. Uh, scrum, there was obviously a call with a crucial call um, later on in the game, but uh, I felt set piece um, and what we're doing attack and defence after that period was was excellent, but. Uh, we're nine points up, and we we control a a fair bit of um, 
the destiny in the in that last 15 20 minutes um all the New Zealand are going to come back into it. They're a very good team, but it's a couple of errors from us that um, allowed them to get better field position or allowed them to get penalties. Look, this is disappointing because you don't get to play New Zealand and we've never beat them in our history. So when you when you play like that and get a, a lead, um, then you obviously feel you should win the game, and we didn't. Very dejected there. Gregor Townsend and uh, Jamie Ritchie, the Scotland captain there, who actually used to be a, I think it was like a junior British judo champion or something like that. So I don't want to mess with him on the rugby field. But uh, now let's hear from All Blacks coach Ian Foster. Look, we're, we're delighted um, to come to Murrayfield uh, on this tour. It's always a, a a game that we've always found extremely difficult, particularly this year against a Scottish team that we think has grown in strength and is on the rise. And, and they've shown they've been able to win some big tests the last two years and was one I, th- I think we're a little bit nervous about. So, you know, I was delighted to come away with a, a good win. Pleased for many reasons. One is the uh, the composure shown in the last 20 and when you're away from home against a, a team that's got their, their tails up, it's hard to turn that around. And I thought uh, the work done by, by Sammy and, and the leaders on the park and, and the bench in particular really gave us a lot of composure and, and enabled us to finish that test very strong. So t- a test win we're very proud of. Well, at 23-14, I was overly excited. Um, it's, you know, I think because they, they were accumulating those points at that stage through, I guess, through pressure and um, forcing us into areas that um, were probably forcing us into a little bit of lack of discipline, which... Um, which was annoying because we had to make sure we stopped that. But you got to give them credit for that. So, mm. but you know, we've you, you train for scenarios like this, and you know, I think if you go back twelve months on on the last two tests of the year where, where we tripped up in, in the north, we both those tests we were in contention in the la- at the start of the last quarter, but we perhaps didn't show the composure that we showed today. So I think that that shows some good signs of growth and. And that's with a few guys that were getting some opportunity, you know, and you know, particularly the likes of uh, Mark Talia playing his first test in, in that sort of environment with that sort of pressure. Oh, I thought the likes of him, he'll be really proud of, of what he did. All Blacks coach Ian Foster there sharing his thoughts on the All Blacks win over Scotland this morning. Uh, Gregor Townsend said just before as well, they had to wait five years to play the All Blacks, and they're probably hoping it won't be as long before they get to do battle again. We are five minutes away from nine here on SCNZ's Extra Time, and after the break, we'll be at the Oki. Myself and Ben Robb will be talking all things darts, and we've got a very special guest joining us. He's just flipped me through his contact details, so I'll pass that on. Not on air, though, of course. Now we've got the bronzed Adonis, Steve Beaton. He'll be joining us at 9.30 here on SCNZ's at the Oki.